0: Just thinking about graduation this morning, I wonder if there's uh, if you are a, an educator here this morning, if you would just stand, if you've had a part in uh, educating kids this year uh, in the school, any, any role that you've got in the school system, if you would stand. Now, there's, there's more of you than that. Come on, stand up. It's, it's great to have uh, Steve and Nikki Shamblin, principals and administrators at Mountain Area Christian Academy with us this morning as well. Thank you for being here and for what you guys are doing there at the school is great. So we are excited this morning because uh, we are we are recognizing our graduates and we're proud of each one of them. Um, we celebrate what they've accomplished uh, over the last 18 years in their education and uh, their. they're they're approaching a milestone. Some of them graduated already, some of them getting ready to in the next week. And uh, you know, they've got a lot going on as far as uh, making all the arrangements for graduation and their celebration parties, and then they're getting ready for whatever is gonna come next, and it's different for each one of them. And uh, they, they work so hard to get ready. And if you are a parent of a graduate this year, let me offer my congratulations to you as well, because I know the parents have a big job in making that happen as well. So congratulations to you. So, you know, there's a huge buildup, and if you've, if you've ever been, um, if you've been part of a wedding or a big anniversary celebration or a big birthday celebration, um, you know the, the work that goes into it. And it's similar to the graduation. It's all the anticipation, and then the event happens, and then it's over, right? And, you, and sometimes you look around and you think, you know now what? some of you are left to clean up, and some of you have a drive to go home, and eventually the graduates are going to sit down and they're going to realize, like I mean, really realize it's over. I, I've done it. You know, high school is done, and then something else is is waiting and uh, And so what I challenged the MacA students yesterday, I'm going to challenge our graduates, and each one in the congregation this morning is when you have a, a quiet moment or two just to reflect. Uh, on a milestone or maybe you're just reflecting on the last week or the last month or the last year like you might do on a birthday. Ask yourself this question, what am I going to do with Jesus? What am I gonna do with Jesus? It's a particularly important question for our graduates as they are getting ready to you know, enter adulthood. And uh, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, a theologian, and, and others have suggested that there's, you have one of three choices that you've got to make when you're looking at, at Jesus as a person. And one option you could, you, or conclusion you could come to was that he was just a liar. He fabricated story, this story that he was the Son of God so that he could obtain a following and he could uh, have a, a group that followed him and he would teach and he was just a, a proud person who just needed the attention. Um, but I think if you, if you look at his life and see that he carried out that he was the son of God to the death, it wouldn't make sense that he was a liar. So the second option that you could, uh, or conclusion you could come to is that he was a lunatic. All right. He was just a little crazy. Like if, if you had somebody coming, if someone came in here this morning and said, I am the son of God and I have a message for you, how would you view him or her? Um, And so so some would argue that he was crazy, right up to the death. But if you look at his teachings, if you look at how he lived his life, if you look at the the care and the compassion and the truths that he brought, you'd have to say, there's no way this guy was crazy. So then for me and for many of you, the, the third and really only conclusion is that he was who he said he was, right? He was the son of God, he was the Messiah. He was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And I think a lot, for most of us here, we've come to that conclusion, and many, um, and maybe even most are living our lives based on that driving principle that Jesus was was the Son of God. He came to the earth to die for our sins, to save us. But as a graduate today, as you're getting ready to maybe leave mom and dad's house for the first time, you're getting ready to start a career, college choices, what is your choice going to be? How are you going to live your life? What will you do with Jesus? I think our understanding of what Jesus did for us and maybe our understanding of who we are as people really helps us to come to a conclusion with that question. And it's a, it's a sad statistic, but it's true. And we're finding that six out of 10 kids that were raised in church leave church, leave religion, leave Christianity, stop reading their Bible, stop praying to God in their 20s. Six out of 10, so we had, um, we had around 20 up here today. So imagine 12 out of those 20 will leave the faith in the next 10 years. And another, and that, that statistic, probably a lot of you've heard that already, and we had Answers in Genesis with us here in the fall and they were revealing a new set of data suggests that 5 out of the 6 have actually checked out before they even leave high school so they're still here on sunday morning or on wednesday night but they've already begun to they've already begun the exit process it's just they don't actually leave until they're in their 20s and that's a i mean that's something we should be concerned about as a church and one thing that we're doing, is, as many of you know, is we're using the Answers in Genesis curriculum that sets a foundation, chronologically, teaching through the Bible, to give the kids um, a sense of the trustworthiness of Scripture, um, the plan of redemption, how to apply it to their lives, how to, how to deal with questions as they come up um, about their faith. Is the Bible true? Is there really a God? Well, how could God, and, and helping them to work through these questions, but I think if we if we really understand what Jesus has done for us, then it helps us to strengthen our faith. And so we're going to look at a few verses in Titus chapter three. And we'll start um, in verse three, and it says, "For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another." And some of you could just raise your hand and say, yeah, that was me, right? Some of you could say, well, that's a mild description of who I was. Maybe some of you look at that and say, well, I I was saved when I was seven years old. I mean, that doesn't really describe me too much at all. I I mean, my parents did a pretty good job of raising me. I was a pretty good kid. But the truth is, this is a description of the condition of the human heart before being redeemed, as the, as the choir sung about. Or even the condition of a human heart that is living outside of the will of God, who's rebelling against what God has for him. Because the truth of the matter is, whether you were saved uh, at the age of seven when you'd done maybe very few harmless things, it seemed like, or you were saved you know, out of the streets of a, of a gang or something. We were all once wicked, we were a wicked heart full of malice and envy and hatred, even if it maybe came up in different ways. But there's good news, right? There's good news in the gospel. Verse four says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. You remember that moment? When the loving goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. It wasn't our goodness that saves us. It's still not today. It's not our goodness that pleases God. It's Jesus' death on the cross. According to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, and we have a promise here, so that being justified by his grace, we are made right because of, the, of what he did for us, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's our hope, is that we have eternal life. It's, I mean, these verses are just a wonderful description of the mercy of God. Instead of punishing us for our continually evil ways, by his grace, he'd offered us salvation. And it wasn't because we just decided we were gonna be better, we were gonna do better, try harder, and we were gonna get it right. It was because of Christ's righteousness, not our own. And so my prayer is that's where you find yourself this morning. A peace that passes understanding because you know you have been brought from death to life. But my fear is that Sometimes our acceptance of Jesus' death on the cross for our sin it loses its significance. The magnitude and gravity of our sin becomes small, and the amazing work of Jesus Christ on the cross just becomes that's just normal. And I think that's part of why we see kids leaving the faith. Is this what, what's the big deal? Um, did, did I give you guys John five twenty four? This is what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. What does that mean to you this morning, if you, have, if you truly have passed from death to life? What's the significance of that? Graduates, what's the significance of that to you guys this morning? Uh, As many of you you know, I I was uh, with the Gwinnett County Fire Department uh, before I hired on here at the church. And it was interesting to see people's response to death. And I remember one call, one call sticks out to me in particular. Um, We went and we went into the, the home and there was this gentleman sitting in the living room and he was dressed in a suit and tie, just like I'm dressed today. And he was just calmly, just seemingly peacefully, sitting there in his chair, in the lazy boy chair in the living room. We went past him in the living room down the hallway into the bedroom and there was his wife, she had committed suicide. And I I looked at the man in the living room and I looked at the woman in the bedroom and and there was like a disconnect. And and quite possibly there was, the shock of it. But there seemed to be no sense of loss to this man. And I'm not saying there wasn't, but there wasn't any that we could discern. And we all remarked about that as we left. Because normally when you go into a home, when there's someone deceased or in or severe distress in the floor, the response of the spouse is what? You've gotta do something, help us, he's not breathing. I don't know if his heart's beating, he's just lying there, right? Like there's an, there's an urgency of death. And sometimes I think that we forget that or we don't realize that as as Christians, we have literally passed from death to life. I mean, that is the good news of the gospel. I remember, um, or what about this? What if Jesus had just seen us laying there on the floor and said, it's too late for that one? Yeah, that one's too far gone, I can't help that one. He didn't say that, did he? He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of his loving kindness. I remember one night getting called to an apartment complex and we, you know, you just never know what you're gonna come across. And so we opened the door and the lady was in a bit of a panic and she said, my husband's not breathing, you've gotta help him. I said, okay, well let's, you know, she was like right there at the door. I said, well, let's, let's, you know, we'll come in and we'll, we'll check him out. So she opened the door a little bit further and he was kind of standing behind her and his eyes were wide open and his face was pale and he was just like this. And, he, and when the door opened, he just, he just went over into my arms. And so we laid him down and he, his wife had watched his throat close up. He was in anaphylactic shock. And he, he really was, he wasn't ble- breathing. Like the wife was... Responding appropriately, I mean, how many first responders do we have here that have been in a similar situation? I know there's many. And so this is one that we, we were able to help this guy. I mean, it, you know, it was, it was one of the good calls, right? But to see the, the panic and despair in the wife to the relief and the joy and the gratefulness when she watched her husband, who she thought was about to die, have a second chance at life. And this is the, it's a picture of what God's done for us. We pass from death to life. So what are we gonna do with this Jesus that has done that for us? Graduates, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna be one of the 60% that walk away? Or are you gonna be one of the 40% that stay? I'd like to think that of the the 20 we have here, we're gonna have 100% with us in another 10 years. So the Apostle Paul has a suggestion for us. So if why take my word of what you should do, let's take a look at the scripture. And if continuing in Titus chapter three, verse eight, uh, the Apostle Paul says, the saying is trustworthy and I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are excellent and profitable for people. So the Apostle Paul says, when you look at where you were and what Christ has done for you, the logical conclusion is to devote yourself to a life of good works. Um, go back one chapter, chapter, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and it's, it was, it's really neat. It's almost like a parallel passage to these verses we've just read. Titus 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, put that behind you, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us He came to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, and look at this, who are zealous for good works. I don't know about you, but for me, zealous is one of those words that I know what it means, but it's hard to describe, right? Like, what's a really good description? So I looked this one up, and the definition that I found was, if you are zealous for something, you are boiling over with passion. So how many of you are boiling over with passion for good works this morning? I'm not always that way, I can promise you that. But that's what, that's what it says we should be. In light of what Christ has done for us, we should be boiling over with passion to do something, right? So what can we do? I wanna give you four suggestions of things that you can do to stay in love with your Savior this morning. Number one is to spend time with the Lord. Spend time with them. Like think about when you, if, if, uh, um, if, if you're married or young people, if you've dated someone and you're falling in love, you want to spend time with them, right? So how do we spend time with the Lord? It's, I mean, it's, it's the Sunday school answer, but it's the right answer. You read your Bible and you pray. And uh, many, some of you know that I'm a beekeeper. And if you... If you, would, if you really wanna know about beekeeping, you're gonna find Karen Pope over here, or um, I, don't, I don't see Dave this morning, Dave Yarborough. Uh, I think I've allowed more bees to die than I've actually allowed live. Um, but in, in keeping a hive, you have like 50 to 60,000 bees in your hive. And now, since I've become a beekeeper, I realize that people think anything that's flying and annoying is a bee. Right? And I'm, saying, I'm thinking, well, no, that's a, that's a wasp, that's not a bee, no, that's a yellow jacket, no, that's a horn, you know, it's like, no, those aren't bees, leave them alone. No, those, those aren't bees. Yeah, you can kill the ones that aren't bees, but don't just kill everything, right? Don't, <laughs> don't give my bees a bad name. <laughs> but the health of the queen is important to the hive. So how do you find one bee out of 50,000? You have, to, you have to educate yourself. You have to be familiar with your hives. You have to know where to look. You know you don't spend your time looking for, in an area where you know there's like 90% chance she's not gonna be there. So you learn your hives, you learn the bees, and how do you do that? You spend time. And it's the same thing with the Lord. If, you're not, if, if we don't spend time with him, if we don't read his word, if we don't pray, then we're not gonna know him. So students, as you're shifting from high school to whatever's coming next, make it a priority to spend time with the Lord. But also, not just with him, make it a priority to spend time with other believers. If I were to move my, my hives, I got them there in, the, in their spot, if I had moved them even two or 300 yards away, the ones that are out foraging for honey or for pollen or for water, they're gonna go back to where the hive was. And if they can't find another hive to get into because their hive is gone, they're not going to make it. They're not going to survive. They're going to they're die. They, they need the hive to live. And while as a Christian, you don't have to be in church to be a Christian, you are going to have a lot healthier Christian life if you are. And so just as the bee needs the hive, as believers, we need each other for encouragement. We need each other for... Uh, to spur another, spur one another on to good works. Hebrews says, and so it's important that we spend time together as believers. So, college students or uh, college students or high school students moving on find a ministry, a college ministry. They're all over. they're, they're on just about every campus. There are ministries you can get involved with. There's small groups you can get involved with. Here at the church, there's Sunday school classes. There's Wednesday night. There's ways to get involved and keep yourself connected with other believers. My third suggestion, the first one was to spend time with the Lord. The second one was to find a group of believers that you can meet with. The third one is to find a way to serve. Karen knows when you open up that beehive, there is, there is no bee that is just sitting there doing nothing. All right? You, the term busy bee is an expression for a reason. Bees are busy. But each bee has a different job. Just like in the body of Christ, we all have a different Thing to do so some bees are guarding the entrance some are collecting pollen some are feeding the eggs that the queen has laid some are capping the the honey like every bee has a job to do and the body of christ it's it's no it's no different here in in our church we've got uh, the the cottage across the street elijah's closet over here we've got children's ministry we have the summer camp we have vbs we have the youth ministry, adult groups. There are so many different ways to get involved here at the church. And you're saying, well, I don't know what I can do. Just call the office, we'll give you a list. But there, there's ways to get involved. And the thing is, it's not just a, it's not just a good idea because the pastor's up here are saying, "You know, we need help to do what we wanna do. No, the Bible says be doers of the word and not hearers only, James 1.22. So a way that you can do is to get involved in your local church. And you say, well, I'm not sure. I'll tell you what, next time you open your Bible and you read, and you read that you should love one another, find someone that day that you can love. Be a doer of the word, whether it's in a group or or you find a way to serve on your own. Be a doer of the word. And the last thing that's also so important is to tell others of the hope that you have. We've got the greatest gift that could be given. We've got Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, and we know him. And the greatest thing we can do is to tell someone else about it. And it's interesting with the bees, we've got a pool in the backyard. And of course you have to run a pump and a filter to keep everything clean. So the filter, our filter has a small leak but it only leaks when the pump's running, when the, once the system pressurizes, it starts to leak. And the, So we've got, you know, the bees are up front, the pool's in the back, right, we try and keep it separate, but the bees are kind of all over the place. When the, pump, when the timer on the pump kicks on, inevitably one of the bees that's buzzing around finds that water source that wasn't there earlier in the day. And within 30 minutes to an hour, there is a steady stream of bees back and forth to that water source. Now, how did that happen? Did they all just happen across it? Watch, watch, Netflix has a new bee documentary out there. It's amazing. The bee goes back to the hive. Don't laugh at me. The bee. (laughs) Karen loves it, right? The bees go the bee goes back to the hive and somehow communicates with the other bees. And that's and so they go. It's the same thing with a nectar source, it's the same thing with a pollen source. They actually go back to the hive and communicate to the other bees the good news. Hey, I found some water. I found some pollen. And they're back and forth, back and forth. That's how we need to be. Ooh. (laughs) Craig Craig told me there was a buzz after the first service. (laughs) But we need to be willing to tell other people about our Savior. Why would you keep it to yourself? I mean, I know the answer because I've kept it to myself. So our time here on earth is really short. And I know as 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 a graduate, especially, if you're like me, you're thinking, man, it took so long to get to this point. Well, I'll tell you, I have lived more since graduation than I did before graduation, and time speeds up, it seems like. I mean, it just gets going faster and faster. And what seemed like yesterday was actually like 10 years ago sometimes. So my encouragement to you who are graduating, and to all of us really, is to, number one, understand what Jesus has done for you this morning. Get to know who he is. You've got to spend time with him. But not just with him, spend time with other believers. Encourage one another, build each other up. Find a way to get involved Find a way to serve, find a way to minister, find a way to encourage, and never be afraid to tell others what Jesus has done for you. That's what I got for you guys this morning. So graduates, we are proud of you. Very, very proud of you. Job well done. But as you move forward, don't think that your Christian life's just gonna happen. It's like anything else. What you accomplish each and every day is what you set out to do. So if you don't set out to do it, you're not gonna accomplish it. So make sure that you make a commitment to keep Christ first in your life. And he'll take care of the rest, whatever that is, whatever path it is that you're following. So uh, let me pray with you and we're gonna be dismissed. Heavenly Father, uh, we just are so grateful for this um, wonderful group of graduates that we are celebrating this morning. Lord, and we wanna see um, each one of them with us here, or in some body of believers, serving and ministering and being a part of it in the next in, in ten years and twenty and thirty years from now. Lord, and I pray for each one here this morning that we would uh, make you a priority in our life every day. We know that we're uh, we know that we're busy, but I also know that we do what we want to do. And Lord, I pray that putting you first in our life would be something that each one of us wants to do. So, Lord, we ask that you would uh, just work this message out in our lives this week. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.